my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Hand on heart now, I can't honestly remember the first reported gilthead bream catch from UK waters, but what I do very clearly remember are some of the earliest reports, and as importantly, repeats of those reports in successive years, demonstrating that rather than being an occasional migrant as was first suggested, Guildheads were in actual fact establishing themselves with a pattern and predictability that anglers might be able to tap into. Despite the fact that all of this took place many miles away from where I regularly fish, I noted that press reports very quickly pointed towards West Country harbours, and in particular those based on estuaries, as being the most obvious common denominator. And as time's gone by, this observation has been reinforced over and over again through catches made by anglers specialising in fishing for guildheads, one of whom I'm about to link up with here, Alex MacDonald of Sakuma Tackle. So what is it about guildhead bream then that makes specialising in fishing for them such an attractive proposition? I think it's a number of things. Well, it, it is for me anyway, but I think probably at the top of the list would be the fights. For me, they're... People often ban this phrase about best pound-for-pound pound fighter. You hear it levelled at mullet and mackerel, with good reason. But for me, I'd say the guilt-head bream. There's a phenomenal fight they give. And I suppose it's, you know, there's the other contributing factors. Are the, they're getting more and more common now, but they're not a fish that too many people would have caught, I don't suppose. So the fact that you're fishing for something that doesn't get caught that often off our shores is... I wouldn't say it's a novelty factor, but it's a good reason, I think... They're a beautiful fish as well, you know, they're absolutely stunning to look at. They're beautiful, but they're bullish as well. They've got like a, <laughs> I, I don't know the best way to describe it, sort of, but they're stunning to look at. They scrap like hell. They are very nice to eat. I personally put a lot of them back, but when I do get one that's deep hooked or from time to time, if I just fancy one to eat, then they do make great eating as well. And the surroundings that you can catch them in, I, I fish estuaries for them and, um, they're a beautiful place in the in the spring and early summer, you know, when everything's starting to green up again. And the wildlife that you see as well, generally they're quite quiet, the creeks and stuff. So more often than not, you'll have them to yourself. So, um, so yeah, it's the, the full package, really. But I'd say if I just had to pick one reason alone, I'd probably say it's the fight, the adrenaline that you get. There's no sitting watching your rod tips for a little tap-tap or anything like that when they hit it. They hit it hard, and then that's just the start of it. They're phenomenal fighters. Even fish of a pound and a half, two pound, will, will give you a good, good fight. And when you get the ones that are bigger than that as well, you really know about it. So, yeah, that's for me the reasons that I fish for them. Now, you're quite a bit younger than me, and probably won't recall all the early reports regarding what has since become an established target for the UK. So when and how did you first become aware of the species? Well, I'm sort of relatively new to sea fishing and I suppose 10 or 12 years is how long I've been sea fishing and right from the very start, obviously I worked in the trade before I was sea fishing. I was doing more course fishing back then, but we still used to get the magazine Sea Angler and such like, so I would often flick through the pages and they were one of the fish that caught me eye and I thought I'd love to catch one of them then and um, funnily enough, one of my brother's friends at school actually holds the record for a guilt head bring, Colin Carr. £10, 6 ounce, if my memory serves me correctly. And I'd also seen other anglers holding good fish as well. And I just thought, you should catch those. They just don't look like anything else in our waters. You know, you shouldn't catch them over here. And it straight away just caught my attention, even though I wasn't sea fishing. It was something about them. So obviously, once I started sea fishing, they were one of the first species that I decided to actually target because 
yeah, just for that reason alone. And obviously I'd heard about their fighting qualities and their eating qualities and all the rest of it as well. So yeah, I'd say sort of probably about 14 years ago I'd heard about them and then when I started sea fishing, obviously I started finding out more and more about them just because to target them, I needed as much background information as possible when I first started to have a real interest in the species. For obvious reasons, I know that gilthead specialists can be a bit reserved and I'm not expecting too much in the way of precise details on productive locations here. So how did you come by the expertise that you built up? Talk us through the types of things that you would be looking for at a location that might single it out as a potential gilthead mark. Well, I'll make no bones of the first year I targeted them. I struggled a bit with them. I knew of some marks that are talked about in hushed tones that you hear through second and third parties and things like that, not fishing for an angling club or anything like that. It was just asking people. I had a rough idea of the areas and what baits they got caught on. I was actually, I got a, a real big slice of luck in the fact that uh, a good friend of mine who's a commercial crab fisherman, actually, and he knows the estuary I fish like the back of his hand. He's fished it ever since he was a kid. He actually, um, for another friend, funnily enough, another commercial rod and line fisherman this time that used to fish on the boat, I asked him for a bit of information and they actually give me a map with the areas and to try and what states are tied and things like that. So um, that was a real big help for me. Um, a couple of those marks paid off big time. Um, as I said before that, I was struggling a little bit because I didn't have much more to go on than just sort of what I'd heard second and third hand very rare to see another angler out fishing so you couldn't sort of identify areas through other people fishing them and things like that so it was all just sort of homework but yeah I was thrown a big slice of luck really um, with getting that map because it did help a lot but saying that you've still got to put the time in and learn about the fishing you know not everything was there it was just the general areas and uh, as I said states are tied in some areas but things like weather play an important part water clarity also plays an important part there's lots of other things. They're a quick moving fish, you know, they don't hang around long. It's not like you can just find a mark and you'll get action all the time. It's short little spells as the fish move through, generally with the tide. And yeah, there's no substitute for putting hard work in, really, and you will nine times out of ten get your rewards if you do put that work and effort in. These days, there's a lot more written about them. Actually, I think there's a, an article in Sea Angler this month on gilthead fishing in Ireland, but I can recall... I think there's several articles most years written on gilt heads. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. So there's a lot more information out there, not just on how to catch them, but areas to catch them right down to marks and how to get there and stuff like that. That's one of the things that the internet especially has helped, really. And they've got more popular as a result. There's a lot more people. As I said before, it used to be very rare. I would probably see maybe a handful of people in a season fishing the estuary that I fish for the gilt heads. Going back... Probably no more than no, five or six years, maybe even less than that, that was the case. But the last two or three years, definitely, there's been a massive increase in their popularity. I think it's also because they've spread a lot more now as well. Their reach is a lot further. It used to be just a few of the estuaries down in South Cornwall and South Devon. And um, now there's a good fishery in Ireland, uh, in North Wales. I'm hearing of them coming out in the Menai Straits, places like that. Even North Devon, Torn and Torridge has been throwing a few fish up towards East Devon, you know, up around the X, the Teen. They're getting a lot more widespread now, for sure. As a consequence, they're a more realistic target for people to fish for them. So, but the original question is, yeah, there's more information out there. If people want to find it, it's there from really at the, the click of a mouse. And also an article in the magazines as well. So, uh, probably never been a better time, really, for targeting them. But yeah, there is a secret side to it. I think if you put a lot of time and effort into your fishing, 
you will share information with people that share information with you but I think sometimes you, you want to protect what you've got yourself. I mean, I think it is being selfish to a certain extent, but I don't really see the, the harm in that if you've put a lot of time and effort into it and all of a sudden you put the information all out there specifically, then you might go up to fish your favourite mark and there'll be people on it. And you know, Sometimes that will happen now with it just getting more popular, but I think there's a lot more satisfaction to catching fish if you work it out as best as you can for yourself. Obviously, I've had that map that helped me out, and internet articles and magazine articles will help as well, and you will look at them. But um, there's no substitute at the end of the day, though, for just putting the effort in and the time, fish the marks, different states of tide, different weather conditions, different times of the year even, and sometimes mornings and evenings can make a difference to bright sunlight. Over a period of time, you'll work it out, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about fishing, though, is even when you think you've got it worked out, then uh, the fish will have different ideas. and So you're always thinking and trying to second-guess them. But they're not a hard fish to catch once you've located them and you've got your rigs and your bait and everything sorted out. They're not a difficult fish to catch. In fact, I don't think there is many fish in the sea that are difficult to catch, with maybe the exception of the mullet when they're in the estuaries, possibly. I think most of the fish, they're not like coarse fish, where they're excessively caught and returned, even though a lot more people are doing catch and release now still think they're wild fish and they don't have as much chance to learn by association as their coarse fishing brothers and sisters. So yeah, once you've located them, you should be able to catch them without too much trouble. Landing them, though, could be a different matter. For the sake of perspective, it might help at this point to talk through some of the biological details of the gillhead, which have helped anglers in targeting it as a species more effectively. For example, its hard fighting qualities, preference for rough weedy inshore ground, and its powerful shell-crushing jaws. In fact, fish expert Alwyn Wheeler in his classic book The Fishes of the British Isles and Northwest Europe describes the gillhead as being exceedingly rare and therefore of little interest to anglers. Also as a species where all occurrences should be noted. Yeah, a lot of good points raised there to be honest with you. There is another book, um, my brother got it for me a few years back and uh, I can't remember the name of the gentleman now, I believe he's Italian. It's only a small book, again the article this month in Sea Angler they mentioned this book it's quite detailed. It goes into the salinity levels in the water and a lot of things like that and atmospheric conditions and things. They can prove to be factors, but there's a lot of interesting reading in there. I mean, in, in the Mediterranean, they target these fish. They get them off the coasts as well as within the estuary systems. But in this country, as a rule, you know, most of the times they seem to be targeted within the estuaries. A lot of fanglers do fish the beaches and the shores, and you would think they would pick up more of them if they were viable areas. Yet for some reason, they do seem to be more of an estuary fish in this country. What about the commercials? Are they not showing any interest yet? They were allowed to net the estuary for mullet, basically. Not, they weren't allowed to put static nets out. They could go out and they could basically see net, drift net, drift in for the mullet. Unfortunately, there was quite a few unscrupulous people and they weren't just targeting the mullet. If they got the gilt heads and the bass and things like that in there, they were obviously taken as well. You needed a licence to do this, and I'm pretty sure quite a few people didn't have these licences either. I, I don't know. Basically, it wasn't unusual for a couple of seasons to turn up at four o'clock in the morning and you'd hear the clank of nets on the side of the boat and out of the mist you'd see boats going up netting and you could fish one creek one day, you'd have a good session, and then you'd see a boat going out and then the next day you'd go up there and it was dead. You know, you wouldn't see the mullet in the edge. You wouldn't catch any bream, very few bass, things like that. And uh, you knew it was having an effect. And it was, I've got friends that fish the estuaries for mullet and they noticed in recent years they were targeting the mullet so that's obvious but one friend of mine said that he was on holiday and i think he fished for three days on the trot every day he said he's seen the same boat going out and just constantly netting the mullet 
and whatever else and taking them back and just keeping on going the whole time like full throughout the day because where he was fishing there was always water there and you can't tell me that that's not going to have an effect people tried to do stuff about it but nothing really happened it just really got seemed to get worse but i did hear that apparently now that all the people that had licenses to net the estuary have been sent letters i think it's something to do with the, is it the duchy of cornwall or something like that anyway I, i'm not sure saying they're no longer allowed to net the estuaries so they've i mean some estuaries it was banned anyway places like the x because the salmon runs that they get up those estuaries but other estuaries it wasn't banned for whatever reason so yeah it was really just a bit of a free reign and people were taking a lot of advantage of it in my view but luckily I think people have seen sense now or enough people have moaned and complained about it and apparently that has been stopped but the thing as I said earlier I think some of these people didn't even have licenses in the first place so they wouldn't have had a letter so will they just carry on I don't know I mean who's also going to police this I still think that they probably will get netted the estuaries but I think now at least you know you can actually well I'm presuming you could ring the police or someone anyway and they will do something about it I mean uh, you'd like to think so if it's illegal that that will happen so hopefully you'll see the numbers start to increase again not just the guilt heads but also the mullet and the bass and that as well so yeah that part of the question is undoubtedly that they have become a viable option to be fished for whether it's we call it commercial or whatever I'm not really sure but taken for money that's for definite other points they are a, like I say a very hard fighting fish their shape dictates that a bream it's almost contradictory because when i used to course fish a lot a bream in freshwater is probably the worst fighting fish you could stick a hook in they were absolutely dreadful it'd be like dragging in a wet towel at best even big fish used to catch sometimes up around 10 pound in weight wouldn't give you any sort of fight whatsoever really so when you think of a bream in the sea you know you it's completely the opposite Especially the gilt heads. Mind you, black bream and coochies bream do fight as well, but I'd say they, they haven't got a patch on a gilt head, not for me. A lot of it's down to their deep-bodied shape, and as I said, they've got a very bullish head, like it's sort of quite blunt, and yeah, they've got a lovely distinctive yellow band that runs across between the eyes, and lovely coloration on their gill plates. They go from mauve to scarlet, oh, just beautiful colours. When they get bigger, the colours really come out on them, and they've got lovely black tips to their fins as well, and uh, stunning-looking fish. That's just absolutely beautiful. But yeah, they pack a punch as well. They really do. And as I say, that deep body, they can hold in the tide. And they've got a very, you look at their tail, you can see where they generate the power from as well. So they've just got all that attributes for a great fighting sport fish, really. And you know that is exactly what they are. You will get bass running through with the gilt heads and straight away you hook a bass, say a pound or so, something like that, 12 ounces. It will come straight up to the top and you'll just reel it in. You look a gilt head about the same sort of size and you'll know the difference straight away. Like, So uh, great, great fighting fish. I mean, as I said a couple of times before, I think that's the main thing about them is just the fact that they fight like hell. You say estuaries, but these are dynamic transitional habitats with the brackish zone between sufficient and insufficient salinity and all the knock-on effects that that can bring really being the same from one day to the next. So where precisely within an estuary would you be looking? You want to fish the channels. I've always found that you need to be close to a channel where you've got the hard bottom where the rivers or the streams will run through. I've no doubt that you can catch them on the mud, maybe on the edge of the weeds and stuff like that would probably be worth maybe a chance. But um, I've always found that the, the main channels. So as long as you've got a hard bottom and you're fishing into the main channels, then that's the areas to generally target them. As I said, they're a nomadic fish. They move with the tides. They'll come through feeding as they go and they'll work their way through the tides. Ideally, you need to have an estuary that's local to you so you can nip down and either just fish for short sessions when you think they're going to be coming through, or if you are fishing a longer session, you'd probably want to look at 
finding somewhere you could move several times as you could follow the fish through. You know, as I said, you'd be very lucky if you could find a mark where you just have a chance of a fish at any state of tide. No doubt there probably is one or two spots that that is possible, but um, as a rule of thumb, I don't know any. So yeah, give yourselves options to be able to move with the fish as they come through. Note the times they come through on the flood, because they might run on the back, even though that isn't always the case. But yeah, I suppose the best point that I can give is, yeah, is look for the hard channels and fish in them. A lot of estuaries will just have big areas of flat mud and stuff like that. Not bad areas for fishing for flounder and stuff maybe, but... Uh, yeah, they wouldn't be an area I'd target for the gilthead bream. I'm not saying that's definite, because I don't know for sure, but um, I've had much more success fishing in the channels. This actually fits in very nicely with arguably the number one bait for gilthead's, which is crab. Estuaries and harbours are prime locations for crabs to take refuge in and peel, with the first flush coming in the spring, followed by a second smaller burst towards the back end and a steady stream of peeling in between. So does the crab molting season which varies year on year in its timing and can go on for longer along the Devon and Cornish coast, have anything to do with the timing and location of gilthead bream? Definitely, yeah. I think the gilthead's first come into the estuaries to feed on the crab. It seems to coincide with the, the first sort of proper molts of the crab. It's noticeable, actually, that crab is the best bait early season, I think, anyway. And then you find it starts to lose its effectiveness as you get into the summer. And like lugworm tends to come into its own a little bit more then. But yeah. They feed on crustaceans, but if you do keep one for the table, uh, it's a good tip really with any fish, to be honest you, is have a look in the sack and its stomach just to see what they've been feeding on, and uh, nine times out of ten you'll find small crabs. That seems to be their preferred diet at the early part of the season. I know on the continent, shellfish, mussels and things like that, I haven't mentioned it before, but you know, they're, <laughs> they have a look inside their gobs, and <laughs> they're just these crushing plates. They've got phenomenal mouths. They're made for crunching fish or shellfish. Yeah, they're well-equipped, really well-equipped, and they'll smash small crabs and small mussels, things like that, with no problem at all. I actually remember reading an article in a French fishing magazine once, and they were fishing for them with mussels, and they were actually opening the mussels up with a knife and actually putting the hook inside the mussel, so there was no point exposed or anything, and that's how they fished for them. The fish would just come along and just smash the mussel, and then obviously get hooked. I'm not very fluent in French, but I could see from the pictures and the diagrams, yeah, and they're much like course anglers would. They'd sit there with a bucket of small mussels and a nut hammer, and they would crack each mussel with a nut hammer and then catapult it out with a coarse fishing catapult, and that's how they ground baited and ledger a uh, whole mussel with a hook right inside it. The odd time I've found the odd small little, don't know what they are, little clams and stuff in the mud and giving them a go, but I've never had any joy with them, but I've only tried it on a few occasions not enough to prove it either way but uh, I suppose it's one of those you know what works and you stick with that but uh, yeah I think early season you know in the UK waters peeler crabs it's hard to beat I've heard other people using small hardbacks as well and just putting the hook through them and I can see the sense in that definitely as well but again it's not something I've tried as yet you're lucky down here in the southwest you know got an easy supply of crab you can buy them regularly but you know they're just as easy to find even when you're fishing so your bait's sorted really and if it's working for you and catching then you kind of stick with it but i think there's definitely room to experiment with shellfish especially if you're fishing some of the estuaries have shellfish farms you know mussel farms and things like that on them and uh, to me that is it's going to be more of a natural food on those estuaries so yeah i'd um, maybe try you know, give them a go but my two top baits are a, a peeler crab and then lugworm later in the year I've heard also that ragworm can be quite good as well, even though I've never really tried it myself. What's the situation with regard to tackle and tactics? As I said, they fight hard, and you have got the potential 
to catch big bream. So your tackle needs to be up to the job. In my view, there's no point hooking fish if you can't land them. Don't get me wrong. If you've got clear water all in front of you with no channel markers or weed or nothing like that, you could fish light and get a really enjoyable fight out of them. But most of the areas that I fish, you can't use that type of tackle. I use a rod called a Coniflex Assassin. That's not just a plug for Coniflex. 11 foot, they're rated, I think, at 2 to 3 ounces. But um, as with a lot of rods, I think they're slightly overrated anyway. You know, I, I find 3 ounces about perfect, really, for fishing the estuary a lot. I just get a, a pair of lead and flatten it down myself with a lump hammer so it holds the bottom a little bit better. I find a static bait is better than a moving bait. That's the rod that I like to use for them. I find it's perfect, really. It's got enough power in it to handle three ounces of lead to cope with the fight they give you and also the weed that comes through as well. You know, sometimes you'd be reeling loads of weed. But it's still got enough so you can enjoy the fight from the fish. You know, I'd say probably if I had to class it, it's a stepped-up spinning rod, maybe. It's definitely not like a cart rod. It's much more power in it than that. So, yeah, that would probably be the best thing to describe it is like a stepped-up spinning rod. I do know people that will use cart rods for them. Again... They would do the job, but for me, I don't think they're quite pope. Saying that, now you can get cart rods that are rated up to £4 test curb and stuff, so they'll probably be more than fine, but for me, that Assassin's a great rod. You need a reel. I'd say you want a reel that's got a good drag on it. I personally like using fixed ball reels. I tend to find front drags on fixed balls are better than rear drags. They just seem to be better, and it is essential to have your drag set properly. You know, you want it set so uh, the fish can take line, but you don't want it too loose. My train of thought is the mouths on the gilt head bream, as I said before, they're really, really hard. And you want to set the hook in that mouth, you know, and to do that, you need a really sharp hook. And the braided line helps as well with having little stretch in it, even though I do always use a leader. But yeah, there's a lot less stretch using a leader and braid than there is just using mono straight through. And by using a sharp hook and hitting the fish hard, you've got a better chance of hooking up with them. They are frustrating fish because you will miss a lot of bites, you will lose quite a lot of fish with the hooks dropping out. It's just the nature of, as I said, the way they fight, their mouths does make it tricky sometimes to get a really good hook hold. Not all the time. Sometimes you'll get like a little lightish bite and you won't think there's too much of it and then when you strike there'll be a bream on and it'll take the hook right back. But more times than not they'll pluck at the bait much like a wrasse will. Eventually, when you feel the bite being a little bit more than a pluck, that's generally the time to hit them. But I find holding the rod, once you start to get the bite, helps. And as soon as you, you feel it go around a little bit more, then just whack it as hard as you can. The danger you do have, though, is if you miss the bite, nine times out of ten, they won't come back again. you just got to wait for a fresh fish to come through, because it's gone if you miss one. Like, if you strike and you miss it, that's what I've found. Obviously, the sharpness of the hooks as well. Use a good chemically sharpened hook. But check your hook, you know, again, it's a good tip. With any fish, you should always check your hook after you catch a fish, and in fact, after you reel in every time, because you're fishing on the shaly bottoms, and the, there's a chance that the point might turn over. As soon as you lose that sticky sharpness, I get rid of the hook and put another one on, because once you stuck one in one of their mouths, when it comes out, it, they're taking the sharpness off. You can check them, and if it feels still sharp enough to you, then, you know, carry on using it, but more times than not, you'll notice that it's not as sharp as it was once you stuck it in the fish. So yeah, make sure your hooks are sharp, really. Um, and again, it's just judging your pattern to your bait. Uh, I do know people that use Aberdeen hooks from when they're using worm baits. But for me, I like the shorter shank. I use our own company, Shinu Hook. There's plenty of companies out there that produce Shinu hooks, and I find they're probably about the best hook for the bream. They're slightly offset. They've got a beak point. They're just a nice sort of shape, perfect for crab. But they're all right for lug as well, because the eye isn't too offset. It's still fairly straight, so you can thread the lug up there without damaging it too much. So 
they're my choice of hooks. But yes, yeah, if you like using Aberdeens and then they're working for you, then use an Aberdeen. But I find the sort of the Shinu type pattern probably the best out there for it, in my view. When we were chatting earlier before switching the recorder on, you mentioned one angler being physically sick after having his hands full with a good fish, then losing it. Yeah, I did. I actually rethought about that because the, the chap who told me about it, I'd heard it from a couple of different people. And I think actually now, I don't think he did actually lose the fish. I think I believe he, he landed it. I think it was about £4, which is a good fish. And yeah, he was so excited with the way it fought and everything that he, he was actually physically sick. I can relate to that. I've never actually been physically sick, but I don't think I've had the adrenaline pumping through me quite as much as what I've had when I've hooked a fish that's taken 40 yards and prayed off from a reel against the tide. Like It's rare in sea fishing that you get that sort of chance, I suppose. Tope off the shore, that's one of the other fish that's done it. Big eels will do it. You know, they won't take 40 yards off you or so, but they'll give you a, a fair old go. But, you know, the because of the dynamic of the fish, the way they, you know, the speed that they go as well, yeah. Not all the time. Some will just hold you in the channels and nod around a bit and go on shorter runs. But quite often, the bigger fish will hit you and they'll hit you hard. And I think nothing of taking 40 or 50 yards off a tight clutch. And when your rod's flattened, you know, it's one of those times you just pray. For me, anyway, just the first thing that goes through your mind is, I really hope (laughs) that all my gear is true. Like, you just pray that all those knots that you're tied, your leader knot, everything is right. Because you know that this fish is going to test it to its limits. And uh, as I said, that's a rarity in sea fishing, really. It doesn't happen too often. And I suppose because you can fish in the estuaries and you can fish relatively lighter, you don't need to use beach casters and big multipliers and things like that. Distance isn't a factor. And you can get away with using three ounces of weight and sometimes even less. So you get to appreciate the quality, the, the fighting prowess of the fish. As I said, it's just one of them. You can feel that adrenaline just coursing through you, and I can totally understand why someone was, was sick from the, from the experience. But it, I suppose it's the few occasions that you'll actually be happy to be sick, I think, really, um, if you're looking down on a big gilt-head bream. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about your own experiences now. Give us some specific examples of encounters, both successful and not so, that for whatever reason have stuck in your mind. I've fished a lot from over the years and my best is only just shy of £5. I've had quite a lot of fish between 4 and £5. I've also lost some good fish. I'm not saying any of them have been any better than those ones that I've landed because fish of that sort of stamp will give you a good fight, but I've definitely lost fish in that sort of class. I feel a little bit, I don't know, I say unlucky in a way, but the estuary I fish, it has done some big, big fish over the years and it does still do the odd good fish but if you get a gilt at over four pound i'd even say probably over three three and a half pound but it is a good fish for there there is other estuaries some of the ones down in cornwall do seem to produce the bigger fish these days if you're prepared to travel around and fish different estuaries for them then you've probably got a better chance than the cornish estuaries of getting like a big fish you know like a sort of seven eight pounder i dearly love one that size but i think i'm a little bit of a stickler i kind of like where i fish and i, I want to get one from there so i sort of a um, bit pig-headed you could say maybe i don't know but yeah that's my pb as i said just shy of five pound uh, which i am still very happy with but i'd really love a bigger one you know say a fish seven or eight pound or something well you know just uh, anything that would be that one would be great but all of those fish give me brilliant fights as i mentioned before stripping lots and lots of braid off the reels and giving you a few hairy moments in the edge especially as most of the marks have weed beds around the edges and that they quite often will dive they'll take their initial run and then they'll swim straight at you and dive into the nearest weed bed so another reason for using strong tackle and i wouldn't advocate using multi-hook rigs either for them for that reason alone you know if they dive into the weed and you've got a spare hook there trailing around is more likely to catch up um so yeah single hooks rule really for that sort of fishing if you want to have the best chance of landing them when you catch them 
good sessions, you know, little short sessions. Luckily enough, I live very close to the estuary and um, I could nip down after work or even sometimes before work for an hour or two's fishing and first light sitting there as just the sun's starting to come up, maybe catching three or four nice gilt head bream in an hour's fishing or so. And, you know, other days where you've had to work really hard for your fish, you'll start off in one area, you'll catch them and then you'll work up, sometimes moving, walking miles and miles to fish different spots and doing it all again. And, you know, absolutely exhausting, but worth every minute of it when it comes right. You can also in the equation put those days when it doesn't come right and it seems like a well it never seems like a waste of time I don't think because I always enjoy fishing anyway it isn't always just about the fish but obviously they're the, the most important bit so yeah other things like walking through cornfields to get to marks and coming sort of face to face with deer you know stags and things like that seeing foxes fox cubs sort of playing on the opposite bank and more than 50 yards away from when you're fishing at first light I've seen deer swim across estuaries since um swim across the creeks as well on more than one occasion i mean that's something to be sat there and uh, still as a bone and then see a deer come down and swim across the estuary and get out within 20 yards away from you and shake its coat birds of prey sparrow hawks things like that taking birds in the hedges behind you you know i can think of those weasels one day they call them a bogle apparently when you see more than one weasel i, I looked it up and uh sitting on a little rock mark and yeah three weasels like it must have been a, a mum or a dad and two young ones come you know literally five yards away from me sort of walking across the rocks all those things like that they make it more than just about the actual fishing but that's all sort of forgotten though as soon as you get that first proper pluck that you know the bream are coming through and it's so exciting because when they do come through it's a hectic little period and you'll get bites you'll miss bites you'll catch a fish you'll sometimes catch several fish and then they'll be gone and then you might get another group come through a little bit later or you might decide that you want to see if you can keep in touch with that group so they're just some of the ones that just spring to mind really but um, all the bigger ones all the ones over four pound are all well ingrained in my memory it only seems like it's yesterday and I suppose it's the only fish that I look forward to catching, I love targeting fish throughout the seasons and I look forward to the flounder season, the cod season, the place season and all the rest of it. I look forward to the gillheads more than anything else. I will put quite a few trips in even before you know it's it's a little bit too early just to make sure you're not missing out on anything so you can make the most of it. And uh, I've got lots of good memories of a lot of other types of fishing as well, but I think if someone said to me you can only fish one species for the rest of your life, that one species for me, it would be the gillhead bream for sure, yeah. I hear that from what started as a rather localised invasion along the south coast back in those early days, as in more recent times, seen the gilthead bream expanding its range. Yeah, I, I'm presuming it's water temperature, I don't know. I, I've got no scientific sort of knowledge on, on what it is, but I think it must be the fact they used to get them down in the southwest and nowhere else because the water always used to be warmer here, and from what I hear people say the water temperature is gradually increasing. So that's why I think you're starting to see them spread further and further afield. Not just the bream, but I think other fish as well, like triggerfish, seem to be getting caught further afield and you're starting to see more cooches bream and other species that are more associated with the Mediterranean, red mullet and things like that as well. Even though they have always been taken from the southern areas, they do seem to be getting more widespread now. So I'd say it's probably got something to do with the water temperature rising a little bit. I can't see any other reason. I can't see that the gilded bream population has just exploded because pretty much all other species that are good to eat get hammered by commercial fishing. So I'm sure the gilthead is no exception, so I can't seem to sort of find any rational thought in that, that that's a reason for it. So yeah, the only really one I can come up with is that the waters are warming up slowly and they're just increasing their range because of it. What about the future? Well, as I touched on earlier, you know, I think estuaries, I mean, maybe it's a little hypocritical because I fish the estuaries of rod and line. Why should I say who shouldn't fish those estuaries? 
I do put a lot of the fish I catch back, but that's only free choice. I've got no problem if people want to keep them and eat them because they are great eating. But I would say put the smaller ones back, definitely. I don't even know if there is a minimum size for bream to take them like there is for bass. If there isn't, then there should be, because you shouldn't be taking juvenile fish, in my opinion, no matter what the species are. So, yeah, if there isn't a minimum size, then there definitely should be one put into place. They should definitely, in my view, stop the netting in the estuaries for any species because they are safe havens for small fish. And fish have got to have somewhere where they can't get hammered all the time. And, again, I know it's slightly hypocritical because we are fishing from the rod and line, but you can't tell me anglers with bait are going to do anywhere near the damage that sweeping nets. I mean, it's not just... I've seen nets being strung out across estuary creeks, so everything that's in the estuary gets... As the tide goes out, it take everything. I think it just needs to be stopped, the netting of the estuaries, for me. And it sounds like they are doing that now, if what I've been told is, is the truth. So that is a good thing. Don't keep them for the sake of keeping them. If you don't want to eat it, then put it back. And definitely put the smaller ones back. I mean, there is an argument for saying keep the smaller ones and put the bigger ones back because they're the breeding fish. But I don't know. My view is if it's undersized or it's too small really to give you a good feed, then you should put it back anyway. So that would make a difference. It's not going to hurt, is it? Other than that, just look after the estuaries as well. It's not just about the fish, as I hope I've got through. It's don't leave litter and no access points and that. Think about it. Don't block farmers' driveways and leave cars willy-nilly all over the place and disrespect your surroundings and everything else. Don't leave hooks and stuff laying around because people walk their dogs along the foreshore and stuff like that. So just treat the place with respect and, and the fish, you know. So for the guilthead at least, the future then looks reasonably good. I think it does, yeah, I think it does. More and more people are targeting them. There's more, as we sort of glossed over earlier, you know, it's um, they're getting more and more popular. Saying that, I don't think you can just take it as gospel that they're going to... I think fish have good seasons, not always linked to commercial pressure, but breeding and weather conditions. So, I mean, last season on the estuary I fish, it wasn't the best season, to be honest with you. But other estuary systems that weren't really known as good bream estuaries had really good seasons. So, you know, sometimes I think they can move around a bit. I don't think they're always... They're not there in the winter months, that's for sure, because you pick them up when you're flounder fishing. They, they're a migrant. They come in. So I think they will move around a bit as well. So I think some seasons you'll have good bream fishing and then in one estuary maybe not so good in the other estuary. I mean, that's definitely what it seemed like to me last year. So... I think the future is rosy. They're getting more widespread. The more people have got access to fish from them, they're a great sporting fish. So I think it's good that more people have got that chance to fish for them. But I'm not saying that it's just going to get better and better and the estuaries are just going to be filled with, with loads of guilt bream all the time because my hand on my heart, I'd love it if it was true, but um, I don't think that is the case. I think there was more, a lot more and a lot bigger fish in the estuaries, or some of them, going back 10, 15 years ago, you know? And I think for whatever reason probably commercial pressure maybe in, in the Mediterranean more so I think that's where they go to in the winter they overwinter I believe in the Mediterranean and they come over here to feed and yeah then they could get a hammering over there by the, the Spanish and the French trawlers but I think things are starting to improve and I'd like to think they will carry on getting better but I don't think it's a given there's just not enough known really about them over here I don't think to form a consensus that that's just going to be the case that just because they're getting a bit more widespread that that's always going to be the case because if they do come over in these numbers they are worth a lot of money you know and the commercial interest will grow and I have heard of commercial netters more by accident I think than anything else catching them out on the, the coast before they actually get into the estuaries so that might become more and more prevalent if they continue to come in in bigger numbers and further afield trawling and things like that on a big scale is probably the reason why a lot of the species we get over here we don't get as many as what you're used to so um, yeah I think there's still issues there with that yeah
Even so, it's still nice to hear of a success story for a change, however small and localised it might happen to be. Next thing for me is to get down there and actually give it a go myself. I've caught plenty of small ones in the past from the shore in Tunisia, so I know that they can go some. But you can't beat doing the same job on home soil, and in that regard, I'm far better armed now than I was 40 minutes ago. So many thanks to Alex MacDonald for parting with that information. 